Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back to another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I'm your host, Ken. I'm joining me in the studio, as always, is the co-host. It's Padawan Jay. The name's Jay. Padawan Jay. Oh, we have much to discuss in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. It's the entertainment edition of the ODPH, so let's waste no more time. Join in that conversation on social media. You can find all our accounts on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Like, subscribe, interact, and always use the hashtag ODPH. A lot of movie trailers we got to break down yes. this week, so we're going to go heavy into it. None bigger, at least in my opinion. I know Pat is def- debating about this one, who's, who had the bigger trailer. I mean, I mean, for me, this one, yes, I'm excited for. But another one we're going to get to in another segment, I am even more excited for. Yeah, but for me, this is the one I've been waiting for. This is Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Finally dropped Scarlett Johansson returning to the role. Yep. From the Avengers movie. Now, this is a prequel, if you're not familiar, because obviously, if you've seen the end of Avengers Endgame, you I know mean, what happens to her, which, uh, let's face it, by now you have. You should. The movie's been out for, you know, almost a year now. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's available on Blu-ray. She dies. Yes, she dies in a very dramatic way. Yep. And when this movie was announced, it was like, well, wait, how are you going to do a movie if she's been killed off in the current timeline? Fun fact. This is a prequel per mm-hmm. se, per se. And, and this is her origin story. Kind of. Yeah, because Kinda. It, it, it's an origin story, but it's not like, you know, Wonder Woman or Aquaman or Superman type origin story. And I'm not using those to bash on them by any means. It's just first ones that come to mind. You know, this isn't going to be, oh, we're going to see how she gets to where she's at. And it's a step by step process. No, uh, this is taking place after the events of uh, Captain America Civil War. So it's before Infinity War. And from what we can gather by the trailer, uh, she's got some demons she's got to exercise. Absolutely. So we are going to be talking spoilers of the trailer. So if you haven't seen it yet, pause the episode, watch the trailer, or just take our words forward because we're going to deep dive into it in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? I thought it was good. I mean, I wasn't really sure, like we kind of alluded to, what to expect from this because, you know, yes, Scarlett Johansson is very good as Black Widow. And, and I've wanted to see a, a Black Widow film for a few years now. But... Like you said, once we got af- uh, uh, to the credits of Avengers uh, Endgame, I was kind of like, all right, how are you going to do a Black Widow movie now? You kind of killed her off. And I'm interested to see this because it's it, like you, like we said, it's an origin story, but it's also kind of not. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with it and what they set up for a future. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by this because going by the comics, and maybe I'll drop a little bit of spoilers. There is a way that they could bring Scarlett Johansson's character back to the current timeline of the MCU. Well, there's always a way because comics. Comics. But they've recently done this over the past few years and they've explained a little more detail to the Black Widow's origin. Mm -hmm. And it's a little messier in the comics. So I'm hoping they don't go necessarily that route per se. Or maybe clean it up a little bit. Or clean it up because when I first read it in the comics, I was like, I really don't know what I think about this. Right. And it's an interesting take, I will give that, but I don't want to go full spoiler per se with that because if it could be like a wild hunch at this stage. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give my unofficial ODPH guess at this. I'm just going based off of, you know what, this could be where they go. But we jump right into what appears to be Budapest. Mm-hmm. Now, this has been long rumored that something 
very big has happened in Scarlett Johansson's character's past yep. here. Yep. That there's, quote-unquote, a lot of red in her ledger. Yeah. So this is going to be a very big storyline moving forward for this film that we finally find out what happened in Budapest. Right, and it's going to be interesting to see just because as fans who have seen these movies, she's very cagey about her past, and she's not exactly like, here's my life story in, in narrating it. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, I got a past, and I did things. Uh, let's talk about something else. Right, so this has been really built up for a couple of years. That, okay, what really makes Black Widow tick? And we mm-hmm. find out because in the comics, she's always been a super spy. Right. And she's always been one of the most deadliest spies on the planet, so much that she can rank as an Avenger. She's a highly yeah. sought-after S.H.I.E.L.D. agent at times. She has a very interesting past, so now we're going to finally deep dive into it. And when it opens, she's staring into a mirror and almost reliving her past. Yeah. And really taking it back to where it all began, because it's always been hinted in the comics that she is raised in the Soviet Union at the time Mm -hmm. and trained in the Red Room, which is basically training young girls at that point to become super agents and super spies. Right. And and my guess with the early part of this film, you know, depending on how close this is time wise, you know, a couple days, a couple weeks after the events of uh, Civil War, I can definitely see some, you know, soul searching or looking inward a little bit on her part because, you know, to use a quote, what a wild, strange trip it's been to go from where she started to I'm an Avenger and I'm an, I'm, you know, an agent of shield in all essence, you know, I'm world renowned and everybody loves us to, I'm now one of the most hunted people on the planet. Right. So this is going to really tell a tale of what's going on. So as we jump in, she's almost, she's reliving the past and then she winds up going back home as it appears. Mm -hmm. So we don't know exactly what's happened to transpire to make her go back to Russia, but she is going back home. And you can and you can probably guess she's not happy about it because as much as she doesn't talk about her past, you can imagine she wants to go there even less. Right. And then when she comes home, she runs into it appears to be a familiar face. Mm-hmm. And it's one that if you know the comics, you don't you know who this character is. Because she comes into an apartment and she's already saying, are we going to talk about this like adults or how are we going to play this out? And who did she run into? Uh, her sister. Yes, she runs into her sister, Yelena, mm-hmm. who is played by Florence Pugh. And this is a really interesting take, and I'm all, I'm super excited about this. Yeah. Because this is from, and I've talked about this a couple times on the show, this is from the Devin Grayson run of Black Widow that okay. happened around the Marvel Knights time. And this is a really interesting take that they've done with this. And it's basically setting up in the comics, Yelena was the successor to okay. Natasha. Okay. That basically when Natasha defected, and joined up with the Avengers and really was, I don't want to say an anti-hero, but mm-hmm. at the time, obviously, you know, teetered the line back and forth. Sure. Yelena was a replacement for her. And her whole mission has been to really stand out and really, yeah. you know, overtake her. Kind of, you know, big sister, little sister to a degree. Sure. But it's always been more of, I'm the better spy. I'm going to prove you wrong. I think the cool thing, you know, for fans like me who might not know who the heck she is, I think the cool thing they could have done with this trailer is or even the, maybe the choreography in the scene is, I know I've seen it in other instances where they go to have that fist fight and they, you know, with the knives and everything else, have a match it like move for move. Like, Oh, I'm going to go steal your knife. But at the same time you steal my knife. And it's like, okay, we're evenly matched. And that way you can establish, Hey, she's her sister, but also she's on par with her. Right. And I think they wanted to do that, but they don't want to give too much away, which right. I, which I was perfectly fine with. with yes. Yeah. Because you really want to go in this surprise unless you've really read the comics. And like I said, I haven't read the Devin Grayson, Greg Rucka, and J.G. Jones book in a very long time, so I'm trying to go in very fresh with this. Mm-hmm. Because during the comics run, 
that's been the one book that's really stand out. And the Mark Wade Chris Stamney run mm-hmm. has been is exceptional. If you got a chance to pick that up, pick that up. And this is where it's going to kind of tie into a lot of source material. So for that standpoint, I'm more excited. Yeah. And as we see, it's the back and forth of why are you back home? And Elena is really trying to figure out, okay, what is Natasha doing here? Because at this point, it's obviously been a long time since she's yeah. been back. And there's a lot of question marks, okay, of where do you rank now? Because Elena, at this point, you want to say is really established herself that she she's established herself and i also want to say maybe she's not quite happy with what has happened to her or how she got to where she is because there's the line when they first kind of you know see each other through the doorway and they're both pointing guns at each other and, and it's when uh, scarlett johansson says are we going to talk about this like adults and, and elena says is that what we are yeah. Almost as like, are we adults or are we something else? Right, because at this point, we don't really know the past, but we do definitely like to see what is going on here. Because although we know thus far is there's been a sense that Natasha is running from mm-hmm. something. So obviously, whatever happened in Budapest, which we're going to find out about. We're right, and we're talking about running from something other than every government on the planet. Right. This is where we see that she is getting hunted about something. That- right, something's come up about the past, you know unfinished business she at one point she says you know we have unfinished business almost like you know it's almost like you see in some movies where you know you got a chance to stop the villain but you choose to let him go and it comes back to bite you in the butt right so obviously she's now paying for some past crimes so to speak so she's on the run and who is chasing her that it appears anyway uh it appears to be one taskmaster it's one taskmaster who's hired to go get her, mm-hmm. but an old friend of the MCU has made his return. Ah, uh, yes. That and, would be one uh, General Ross. Yeah, General Thaddeus Ross, played by William Hurt. Yes. Which is really interesting to see mm-hmm. that they're bringing him back into this, because w- pretty much the Incredible Hulk and anybody connected to that movie has been reconned or ignored. Right, with the exception of General Ross. Well, yeah, General Ross has kind of been the one mainstay that's been able to flex around. So to see him return in this, and I'm not saying that we're going to see anything involving Thunderbolts. I want to clear that up right now. Right. But it's going to be interesting to see how he plays in there, because my unofficial ODPH guess, and I'm going to give you one right here, is he is the one that hires Taskmaster to come after Natasha. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was the guy in... Winter Soldier, right? Yep. Uh, so and so, obviously, she embarrassed him a little bit. Uh, you know, kind of disgraced him a little bit. Uh, I can definitely see him wanting some sort of revenge out on her for what she did. And and now that you know, and and before it was, oh, hey, you're the darling of everyone. Everyone loves you. Everyone, you know, to a degree. Um, you know, everyone kind of, you know, you'll have a lot of backup. Well, now that half of the Avengers are at this point in the film are are wanted criminals all over the planet. You know, oh, hey, I can come after you and you can't get any help from anyone because all of your friends that aren't wanted criminals are going to try and capture you. Yeah, I think it's one thing with, with Natasha. And, and like I say, memory serves me right. He, he, She did show him up in some degree. Like, yeah. I mean, he wasn't connected with Hydra. No, but, yeah, but, but if I remember, it was towards the end where she walked, where the one security council member, the female, I forget who it was, and it's supposed to be her. And she pulls off the like the mask, the mask or whatever is. Oh, hey, surprise. It's not her. Yeah. So obviously, in you know, the character of Thaddeus Ross, very vindictive. He's got an axe to grind. He has an axe to grind with anybody in the MCU. Allegedly, he has an axe to grind with me. Well, this is true. Uh-huh. So we'll get into that a little later. But at this point, though, she's on the run, and you do see the Taskmaster make his triumphant appearance mm-hmm. in the film. Now, oh, I'm so excited for that. Now, this has always been a very interesting 
villain to explain. I'll say on the list of villains that a lot of you know fans who might have read some comics and a ton of comics anywhere in between, uh, usually high on the list of, of villains they want to see in the MCU. Well, he's a very interesting character that if you're not familiar with who he is, and we're still not even sure who the actor is playing him, if I'm not mm, mistaken. Correct. Because they've only given like one name here and there. But the Taskmaster is a very interesting character because of his abilities. Now, what is his ability? He can photographically memorize your moveset mm -hmm. and your, not your powers, because obviously you can't replicate them, but if he sees you fighting, he can imitate that just yep. on eyesight. Yep. And he's an interesting character for that degree because in the comics, and even more so over recent years, like since the Norman Osborn took over S.H.I.E.L.D. and, sure. and in that kind right. of time period, right. he's really risen more in prominence of being not so much of, of mercenary and, and spy as he's been played over the years, but he's been really brought into the light and given some more depth because of what his powers do. And albeit, though, when I first saw his mask here, and I've read some comments online, I want to ask Pat on air. Mm -hmm. Did this remind you of Lord Zed from Power Rangers? Uh, not really. I mean, I haven't thought of or seen Power Rangers in a number of years. I do remember Lord Zed. I did watch those Power Rangers. Not, not the first connection I made. It wasn't the first connection I made either, but I did see a lot of online chatter about it. Yeah. And, and to try imitating his mask, because if you haven't seen his comic version, it's basically like he's wearing a mix of Captain America and Moon Knight's costume with a skull mask. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not going to really do a skull, per se, on here. So his mask is very interesting to see the uniform, which I, I didn't have an issue with his costume. Not at all. And it's really interesting to see how this is going to play out on, on screen. Because he's more or less known not so much for him being a mercenary, but he trains villains. And he's had a history where he's worked with everybody from Hydra to AIM in the comics to S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point. Right. And even the Thunderbolts, he's had some connections. And even at one point, and like I said more recently, involved with the Avengers Academy when they were training the next generation of heroes in Marvel Comics. Mm -hmm. He's had a, just you know a different kind of vibe. And obviously, he's got a very interesting past that, you know, how he rose in there. Because he's more or less a Captain America ripoff, per se. Yeah. But he's in the sense that he's been experimented on and just what it's done to him that when he can see somebody like Hawkeye that shoots an arrow, he can right. imitate that. Right. I when mean, he, the thing I can think of that outside the comics that was his most recent foray and kind of the, the general population was the Spider-Man PS4 video game. Right. Where he was a, not a main villain, but he was a side villain. And the, and the obnoxious thing with that was you had all these side missions you had to do where you had to be stealthy and you had to fight guys and do this that, and the other but at the entire time he was either watching or videotaping you so that by the time you got to fight him after you did all these side quests he knew and could replicate your entire moveset right but he's also a very interesting character because at least in the comics how they kind of flipped his origin is even when he sees somebody do their moveset and, mm. and can kind of figure out their fighting style he also has like lost his own memory oh okay and it's almost like he's reliving himself like Every day he's a brand new person, which is it's a weird take, but it's, right. it's so cool to see in the yeah, comics. Yeah. So obviously to see him come on screen because he does have a history with Marvel. He's always one of their more skilled fighters. And to see how this is going to translate on the big screen, mm -hmm. I'm all in for. When I heard he was going to be the villain of this, I'm interested to see spy versus spy, but on a whole different level because of the fighting that's going to be taking place. You're going to see a lot more hand-to-hand -hand combat in this film than maybe you've seen in some other Marvel films.
Sure. Which I'm all for because I would like. I've said in the past, I want to see some fresh takes in the MCU. Well, so I, mean, I know earlier we talked about we don't really know who he is, and we still don't know who he is. Nothing is updated since we have been recording. Uh, just looking at the cast on IMDb, if I had to take a stab at who I think it's going to be, most of the people on this cast list are given titles. The one that currently doesn't have a title or a character attached to it is a gentleman by the name of Ray Winstone. A uh, couple movies he's been known for. He was in The Departed. He was Beowulf in the movie Beowulf. Okay. You know, he was in a, a movie called Sexy Beast and then uh, also Cold Mountain. So he's been in some stuff. I, You know, I can see, because usually they're not going to leave it to, you know, a villain of that sort. So they're not going to leave it to like Joe Schmo who's been in a couple of indie films and maybe one minor role in a minor in a minor film for like Five seconds. I can see him. Maybe it's him. It would be interesting to see him. And like I say, the one thing I've really been stressing about this is I want to see a different take. Yeah. I want to see some spy versus spy. Yes. I want to see some real action. And I don't want to see him get killed off at the end. Please. Yeah. No. Give me some Marvel villains that are going to last and G- be standing. James, James Bond the thing where, you know, the old adage with the old James Bond films up until the recent Daniel, Daniel Craig films where Bond's fighting the bad guy, be it Blofeld or somebody else, and, oh, shucks, you almost got me, ha, 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 and they get away by, like, helicopter. Yeah, something. Give me something that we could see a possible sequel with this. If, if Set up a movie where it's like a, like a Marvel Sinister Sex type deal, where you've got three or four Marvel characters, like a Doctor Strange, a Black Panther, you know, maybe a Hawkeye, and then, you know, I don't know, Thor or something like that, where, oh, hey, it's four of their villains going up against the four of them, and they got to team up. Yeah, I mean, I personally, throwing it back, I'd love to see an Avengers Master of Evil Ooh, film. Okay. I'd love to see that. And then you could mix Taskmaster and whoever else you want to pump in there. Yeah. I'm cool with that. But he wasn't the only new face that we've seen in the comics that we wanted to see join the film. We have an old friend by the name of David Harbour coming uh-huh. onto the MCU. Yep. And who is he playing, Pad? Red Guardian. Looking a little pudgy. Yes, looking a little pudgy. So, so the, the costume's a little snug. The costume is snug, but he's going to add comic relief oh my God. to the film. In which spades. Yeah, which, I mean, it fits the Disney formula of the MCU, which... Uh, which you I mean, know the, tra- the trailer itself is showing his comic relief because it goes from, you know, the scene from a door getting busted down and he's just standing there doing doing the, t- the usual superhero movie thing where, oh, something's exploding or getting busted down. I'm looking the other way, too. I'm going to stand here with no shirt on flexing my muscles. Right. And his character has got a very unique history. He is the ex-husband mm-hmm. of Natasha, yep. which is going to play into some history as well. And to know the character Red Guardian, if you're not familiar, basically he was the Soviet Union's Avengers leader. Like they have a group called, at one point there were Soviet super soldiers, mm-hmm. and they switched to the Winter Guard, and it was almost like a replica of the Avengers. Right. And he was the one that was the Captain America of the group. Yeah. That he was supposed to be the counterpart, like the you know the the mirror image, but yep. the better version. Yeah. And he's always kind of had like a little different you know take. He's always been a worthy adversary to the Avengers, but even ally points. Mm-hmm. And his history with Natasha has always been messy. Yeah. To say the least. Yeah. His ex-husband, and then depending on how he's written in the comics, it kind of goes back and forth and. I know I was reading recently that he, because I even lost track of him, that he appeared as Ronin at one point. Oh, wow. And, and like, yeah, it's just kind of a very different history with him. So to see Harbor make his appearance as him is going to be interesting. Yeah, no, and I mean, just looking at the, the pause point of the trailer uh, where he finally puts on the costume, it looks like a bootleg Captain America costume where like, you know how you go like into a grocery store or a department store around Halloween time and it's mm-hmm. got and it's got something that's supposed to be like, let's just say it's Elsa from Frozen costume, but it looks a little off. The colors aren't quite right and it's got Ice Queen on it instead of Elsa from Frozen so they don't have to pay for the copyrights. 
the helmet looks the same, and to a certain degree, the chest does as well. But it's like, oh, hey, we copied you, but eh, we don't really know what we're doing. Well, it, it's something to play off in the in the story in the yeah. comics when yeah. they were forming their own team. And and like I said, the Winter Guard is a very interesting group. I said interesting a lot this episode, but it very is. They're just like a mirror image of the Avengers, how you break it down. There was Ursa Major, Dark sure. Star, Crimson Dynamo. Uh, there was their version of Thor, which mm-hmm. the character's name escapes me at this point. So to see how they mirrored and how this is going to translate is going to be a fresh take. Right. But it's also going to be similar to some degree, which I know they're not going to do any spinoffs per se unless they want right. to go to Disney+. Plus. But to see the comic relief that David Harbour going to be in this, I'm excited for. I think it's going to be a, a nice addition because I, right. I don't know how forced it's going to be because I think that they need to do something to lighten up the load in this. Yeah. So going in with that, we do see a couple more action scenes involved. We do see Red Guardian face off with the Taskmaster. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be a really, really fun fight. Because if Red Guardian's fighting skills are supposed to be that of Captain America's, Uh Taskmaster is going to see that and replicate it and be better. Right. So how does that play out? And then we also see that there is a attack by the Black Widows, plural, mm-hmm. onto it appears to be an, an army base or like, yeah. a, like almost like an oil refinery at one point. And we do see some cool skydiving action sequences, which I was marking out for. Well, it looks like they're in an airship something. Like there's there's catwalks and, and it almost looks like maybe like a refinery or something got blown up. And it, it, from what it appears, and obviously this might, the post-production might not be done on it, it looks like Scarlett Johansson is jumping off of this thing without a parachute. Yeah, which is just completely amazing. That's some like, Tom Cruise level stuff. Yeah, which they, you, if you're going to do a spy movie like this, this is how you want to portray it. Well, and that's the thing is she's always, you, whenever you talk to comic fans, it's always, oh yeah, she's the super spy. She's the, she's the one who can get in and out undetected and get you what you need. And this isn't a knock on Marvel or by any means, but like, when has she done any spying? Well, they've always alluded to it in the history of, right. of her character, but she's never really had a long comic run. And that's right. why I say, if you want to really pick up some great Black Widow comics, like the the two greatest ones I can think of, and I, I know I hype them up a lot, is the Devin Grayson, J.G. Jones run, mm-hmm. and Greg Rucka was attached to that a little bit, and the Mark Wade Chris Samney run, which, I mean, those two... As comic pairs go, is vastly underrated in my opinion because their work on Daredevil was amazing and the Black Widow book was great too. So I highly recommend those, um, Mm -hmm. picking them up. But if they're following that source material and when you have writers that really delve into it and really can flip the narrative, so to speak, that you're in a spy book, make it about a spy and make it about that life and make it very interesting to the reader because then when you try doing this on film, it's going to make sense because there is a market and there is a place for it, in my opinion, in the MCU. Absolutely. Because if everybody is just bashing this, bashing the bad guys, blowing stuff up and saving the day. Right. It's it's going to get old quick. And yeah. I, I mean, and that's like I say, it's one thing that I always harp about is for this new phase of the MCU, show me something different. Yeah. Let me see some spy versus spy. Let me see Absolutely. some James Bond type. Yeah lifestyle in the yeah. MCU because I, I don't need to see it just as a, co- a cookie cutter version of okay we, we did Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok and Captain Marvel and all of them have a lot of similar elements that you can kind of mix and match yeah I want to see something different with yeah, this yeah no absolutely do some spy versus spy you know do something maybe in the vein of like a James Bond story where she's got a mission she gets you know sent on a mission by Fury so mm-hmm. whoever 
and she's got to go do that, and then things go sideways. Do something like that. That'll be really cool to see. Yeah, I definitely am excited about it. I was, you know, very interested to see how the MCU was going to come back with this. Yeah. And like I say, interesting is the word of the segment because everything about this has piqued my attention. Absolutely. Because going into this, I really didn't know how they were going to do this film. No, neither did I. And it wasn't announced that they're barring from any ser- serious um, story runs. It does look heavily influenced by the Wade and Samney run mm-hmm. in first glance, just first glance. So that being said, I'm more excited about it than I was before because if they're following source material from the comics and especially great source material – Sign me up all day. Take my money now. I'll be there first day. Sure. And this is what I want to see coming out of the MCU. If you're going to follow the stories, and especially the character Elena, I think is going to be a great addition. I just don't know where they're going to go with her after this. I still think she's going to be in the MCU. I don't think she's going to get killed off. Hmm. The comic storyline is messy. I don't even want to delve into it because how she's recently reappeared. This is this is interesting. I was just digging through some of the details on IMDb. Mm-hmm. One of the people uh, who has a writing credit on the film is a woman by the name of Jacques Schaefer, uh, who uh, on the list of known for, uh, she wrote Timer in 2009, The Hustle uh, in 2019 with uh, um, Anne Hathaway and uh, Rebel Wilson. Okay. And then also WandaVision. Specifically, the first episode of WandaVision. Well, that's going to be a telling hmm. sign of how that series is going to play out if you really like the writing on this one, which... Interesting. I mean, so far, like I said, everything about this has got my attention peaked. Yeah. And going into... This is what you want from a trailer, so yeah. I'm very excited it do, it, to see it. it. gets us interested. It doesn't give too much away about the... It teases a story. It gives you a little... It's like the appetizer. It doesn't give you too much. You're not falling going, oh, you know, I don't need to eat anymore. You know, it, it gives you... It whets your appetite. Yeah, it definitely did. And seeing what Scarlett Johansson is going to do with the role that now she's going to be the flagship of this franchise, which if this does well, guarantee you they're going to do more. Absolutely. Guarantee you they're going to do more. To see her really break out in this role and really take it somewhere, I'm excited. And I really want to see this film do well. Yes. I really do. And going in with the MCU, I mean, this is going to be the new phase kickoff. So I expect to see a lot of Easter eggs about where the direction of the MCU is going to head into now. Well, wasn't uh, Spider-Man kick off of the new phase, or was that like the bridge? That, no, that was the end. Far From Home was, oh! Far from Home was like the okay. the eulogy for, okay. for the okay. for the end. So this is now the official gotcha. re- restart. And like I say, don't be too surprised if there is um, Easter eggs mm. about how she can come back yeah. to the MCU timeline as it is now. Yeah, I'm not saying time travel but keep your eyes peeled because I think you're going to see some a lot of a lot of Easter eggs get planted, especially when they start diving into the red room. Mm. That's my uh, little unofficial wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But hit us up on that hashtag hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about Black Widow? Did you love the trailer? Did you hate the trailer? And if so, why? We definitely got to have that conversation. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Wonder soul, wonder soul, wonder soul. Hey, I'm Lucas, the host of Wonder Soul, a weekly podcast series featuring a variety of topics dealing with life's many passions and experiences. Join me and friends each week as I discuss topics ranging from pop culture to real-life conversations that all can find relatable. New episodes bring new guests and new topics and release every Friday. More content can be found on Wonder Soul's YouTube and Twitch channels. Stay up to date and connect with Wonder Soul through social media by following us on Twitter and Instagram. And we hope that you enjoy Wonder Soul wherever you listen to podcasts. So do good and take care. 
Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is George Gatton, and you are listening to the Ocho Duro Parley Hour Entertainment Edition. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and let's keep that spy vibe going. Uh huh. The biggest trailer of the week in Pad's eyes yes. dropped. I'm just going to give you the microphone, my friend. You can lead this segment. What dropped today as we were recording? The trailer, first look at the next and Bond film, Daniel Craig's final Bond film, No Time to Die. Now, there's been a lot of news with this one. Uh, initially, Danny Boyle, I think, was supposed to direct this, mm-hmm. left. Then they got into filming, and, and they were filming in Jamaica, and Daniel Craig broke his foot and had to miss some filming. But then, no, they're done filming. The first trailer is out, and we're going to talk spoilers. So if you haven't seen the trailer yet, pause it. Go watch the trailer because it is amazing. Come back, listen to what we have to say, or just like Ken said in the last segment, take our word for it. In three, two, one. My God, this looks amazing. This looked pretty dope. Oh, my God. Can't lie about it. Oh, my God. You're the bigger Bond aficionado than I am, but this oh definitely had something that really jumped out. And for me, like the whole saga of Daniel Craig, and he's very polarizing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know from our fellow podcasts on Twitter sure. that we interact with, Daniel Craig's James Bond is polarizing. There yeah. are some people that love him yeah. and some people absolutely hate him. And I'm going to I'm gonna admit, I, I became a Bond fan when... Uh, at some point, I forget what year it was, but ABC decided to show Dr. No on television, the very first Bond film with uh, Sean Connery, mm. and and was able to watch it and fell in love immediately. You know, so the first kind of real Bond I got exposure to was Pierce Brosnan. So when Brosnan left, yeah, you know, Brosnan was my guy. Brosnan left, and they announced Daniel Craig, and, and the headline was, oh, a blonde Bond. And I'm like, yeah, and, and I knew the lineage of the actors who'd played him. I'm like, oh, you can't do a blonde Bond. That's going to be awful. Totally wrong. I love Daniel Craig. He is one of my favorite Bonds. I love the the groundedness and the you know realism with it. You know he's got the one liners. He's got the quips that are familiar with past Bond films, but it doesn't feel so hokey. Right. You know, as much as I love you know Sean Connery tossing the the hair dryer into the bathtub full of water and electrocuting the guy and going shocking. You know, it, it's it's hokey for its age. It's it's I love the groundedness. Yeah, no, Craig adds a little groundedness, and I think that's a great way to put it, Pat, because he does add a different element to Bond. Yeah. Like I said, Pierce Brosnan was the one I got brought in to Sure. I went back. I mean, Roger Moore was good. Oh, yeah, Roger Moore was good. Sean Connery's the man. Sean Connery was good. Uh, I'm blanking on the one guy who did. Timothy Dalton? No, not Timothy Dalton. There was a gentleman, I'm blanking on the name, who did On Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, who I cannot stand, uh, did one film and says that, oh, the modern Bond doesn't love enough. Sir, you slept with three women in one night in your Bond film. Stop talking. Yeah, that I. The what, name will what, come. What, to me. what can you say about that? That's, yeah, that's just. I mean, how it is. No, yeah, Sean just, Connery. You, you know, you can't hold a candle to it. It's very hard to top him. Roger Moore was very good. Timothy Dalton, yeah, might be bottom of the list for me. You know, I enjoy his films to a certain degree, but just, eh, not the best. I like Pierce Brosnan's. Although my one gripe with the Pierce Brosnan era is, why is he fighting the Soviets in 1995? That, that's just me and the inner historian in me. But George Lazenby? Lazenby, thank you. No, yeah, George Lazenby, Australian. Yeah, he was like an unknown or something. Believe it that's or not, what... yeah. No, it, it, what happened was was Sean Connery didn't want to do the role. They needed somebody, and they found George Lazenby. 
Yeah, I mean, weird, weird scenario. Like I say, like that one, I actually blanked out of my memory, and that's yeah. why, like, I'm sitting there stuttering it's, about it's this. Argu- it's like, arguably forgettable. It's arguably the worst Bond. It's up there. Yeah, you have to throw that in the mix of the yeah. discussion. Yeah, maybe that'd be a good Twitter question. Maybe I have to throw that out tonight. But either way, we're gonna just be breaking down the Daniel Craig series, and like mm-hmm. I said. For me, I thought he's been okay. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't really reinvented the wheel, but I do like his groundedness yeah. that he has. Yeah. It's just a different element. It's a different vibe to him. A little more serious than I think than yeah. some of the other Bonds. Like I said, Pierce Brosnan was my Bond. Goldeneye. Yeah. And dare I say, arguably one of the best video games of all time. Absolutely. On Nintendo 64. Absolutely. Two words, proximity minds. Oh, God. All day. Odd job. <laughs> There are many stories that even the dog can explain. Oh, Lord. There are many stories that we cannot get on that. We need a Patreon wall mm. for about the Golden Eye stories. But going into this trailer, though, we open up, and it's typical James Bond. Yep. Out in an exotic location. Yep. And there's a car chase going on. Yep. And he's interrogating. You know, they haven't found your secret yet, but we're going to find it. And the interesting thing is, is the woman that is in the passenger seat with him is one Leia Sidhu playing Matt, reprising her role as Madeline Swan, who of course first showed up in Spectre, was the big, oh hey, I need you for the information you know, and ends up be falling in love with her, leaving with her at the end of the Spectre, you know, and from what we can tell or what has come out uh, about where, at least where this film starts, we don't know the plot, but what we do know about the film is that Bond has left active service, mm. that he is no longer a double O. So seemingly, and based off of what we can see in this trailer, he has left the service and at some point left for Madeline because this is the woman he fell in love with, the woman he wanted to be with. And it appears things went south and that she's got a secret and he is pissed. Yeah, there's something going on that brings him back in. And we do see one of the first James Bond action sequences. Oh, my God. Where he's just on a bridge, and he just jumps off, and he's holding a rope by one arm out of the rock. Yeah. And swinging to avoid the conflict. I mean, it's just typical James Bond. I mean, uh-huh. The guy who's cooler than cool and just doing Bond things. I mean, what else can you really say about Really that? popularized vodka and martinis. Yeah, absolutely. Shaken, I mean, not stirred. It's just how he is. So as we progress in the film, we sense that he's in retirement. Some people mm-hmm. think he's dead. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of a wild take. Well, I mean, they thought he was dead the last movie, although that was admittedly because, or the one movie, that's because he got shot and disappeared. Well, right. Okay, but that one makes sense. The, yeah. This one, he just disappears. And well, the thing with Bond, and it doesn't matter what film it is, if he goes off the grid, this man goes off the grid. Like, you cannot find this guy. Like, even carrier pigeons can't find this guy. Right. So, obviously, to see that he is now tracked down in his, by his old friend Felix Leader, yep. who's played by Jeffrey Wright, a.k.a. Oh. Commissioner Gordon. Yep, a.k.a. Commissioner Gordon. Really love seeing Jeffrey Jeffrey Wright playing Felix Leiter in these films. There's something about it. I don't know if it's just hit, just Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Wright or just the way he portrays Felix Leiter, but there's something like... Or maybe it's the character. I don't know. Like the, I think it's the character. It's got to be the character, because the character has a very long lineage in the Bond films of showing up, and, and just Jeffrey Wright's portrayal of him I have always loved. You're right. So this obviously bounces out, and, and you kind of it's tying back a little to the whole sequence of Daniel Craig's Bond run mm-hmm. that he's brought back in, and now he meets it with a new 007, yeah. who I believe is Le, Lashana Lynch from mm-hmm. Captain Marvel. Yeah, and if early rumors are to be believed, uh, she is 007. Right. Which She's taken over the mantle or the number. I'm all for it. Yeah. You know what? I, I really liked her work in Captain Marvel, so you know, bring it on here. 
Absolutely. And we kind of see the back and forth, and you see the little you know spy versus spy action going on that she confronts Daniel Craig and yeah. really gives him the threat, like, I'll put a bullet in if you need to. Yeah, she, yeah, what is it? He goes, oh, are you a double O? She goes, yeah, for two years. And then she goes, stay in your lane. Yeah, which was like. Oh, you don't know who you're talking to. Oh, here we go. No, I was, I was pumped for this because yeah. I like to see heroes like that get challenged. Mm-hmm. I think that's another thing, like, we're going tying very quickly into Black Widow. When you see an established spy, and they're supposed to be the spy of spies, get challenged and mm-hmm. really have a true threat face them. Because Bond, yeah, let's face it, he's had his rogues over the years, so to speak, but really who has been a real true threat to him, would you say? Um, Blofeld over the years, obviously, you know, his one mainstay villain for a number of the films. I mean, he's had his one-offs and, and villains have really kind of held up to him, but nobody has really could hold a candle to any of those other villains like Blofeld could. Yeah, even like his allies, though. Yeah. He's always, Bond has always been yeah. a step ahead of him. Yeah. So to see a female fellow agent yeah. really push him and really bring out the best in him mm-hmm. at this stage, bring it on. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited when oh, she's bringing it to the role. Absolutely. And then we go and we see that there's more friends that decide to make the reappearance because he has that weird interaction as he's walking through MI6. Yeah, so seemingly he comes back to MI6 and he's checking in at what I guess is the front desk of MI6 and the gentleman at the front desk says name and he goes, Bond. And the guy just kind of looks up like, uh, what? Yeah. And he goes, James Bond. And, it, and I can't tell if it's the, the guy for doesn't know who he is, which would be absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, or it's just, I can't believe this man's actually standing in front of me. I've heard of you. I've never seen you. Yeah. So obviously that's kind of the little comic relief, so mm-hmm. to speak. And it, it's well played. I mean, absolutely. It, and as he's going through, he runs into his old friend. Q, played by Ben Wishaw, who I love this portrayal of Q. I know he's a younger Q and he might get some knocks for it. There's just something about him. And maybe it's just, you know, the the nerdiness that he brings to the way he plays Q. But I, there's just something I like about it. Yeah, absolutely. No, he has a little quirkiness to it. And you have to be for Q. Yeah. You have to be. And then he's waking his way through MI6, run into more familiar faces. Yep, runs into Naomi Harris, of course, reprising her role as Ms. Moneypenny. Yes. So it's just a cool throwback to where Bond has always been, because you always know there's certain regulars that are always by his side. Uh-huh. And then they're just going through, and we do see some more old faces return. Yep. You know, we see the main villain, or well, at least one of them appear. Yeah, so we kind of get a hint at what's going on with the plot or why he's being brought back. And and Ray Fiennes is, of course, in this film uh, reprising his role as M, you know, the head of MI6. And they're going after something, and all he says is it's, you know, it's critical that you don't lose focus, that this is the most valuable asset that we have. And they show a glimpse of what looks like some sort of facial recognition technology or something. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to tell what it is. And like most Bond trailers, they don't give much away. And he says, you can't lose focus. And he walks around the corner and goes, I won't lose focus. And then he sees his old flame, Madeline Swan, walk around the corner. And this is where we get the first kind of inkling like, okay, they left Spectre arm in arm, lovey-dovey honeymoon. Something happened in between then and now. Yeah, this is going to be the catalyst of this film. Uh-huh. That Bond doesn't get his happy ending. Yeah. And now he's living in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. So as, as he's progressing through, still running into some more old faces. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say uh, this next old face he runs into, they did not bury this man in a deep enough hole. And I don't mean in the dead sense. I mean in the living sense. He runs into his old friend, and I use that term very jokingly, uh, Ernst Stavo Blofeld, played by one Christoph Waltz. Brilliantly, oh, brilliantly, might I add. Brilliantly. So we see... Now is the 
drama is finally building. It's the you, chess match. Yeah, you see the ultimate chess match happening. And this is where Bond is going to get pushed. So mm-hmm. you know, let alone he's getting pushed by a fellow agent, which is great. Uh-huh. But he's also getting pushed by his, one of his old nemesis. Yep. And as we see, he's traveling through and almost having like the flashback sequence. Yeah. Where him and Madeline left off. Yep. And, and then why he is where he is now that you know he can't have his peace. Yeah, and, and even in the voiceover from uh, Christoph Waltz, he says, you gave up everything for her. And now her secret is going to kill you. Yeah. So the drama unfolds. Yeah. You. Yeah. They. Uh, she. Op- you see a box opening, and it's almost like a, a, a mask you would see over in Japan or something like that. But it's really broken. That like from, you know, the one chin all, all the way up to like the upper cheekbone on the opposite side of the face is broken, and it cuts to Madeline Swan appearing look to look like she's opening the box and. You know, shedding a tear, going, "Oh my God, this is not good." Right, and like you say, it, it does appear like one. Like I always say, when I first saw it, I was, almost thought it was like the mask Oscar wears to the yes. ring from the WWE. Yes, it, it's like a version of that, like a Kabuki mask. Yes, it definitely looks like a Kabuki mask. So yeah, so as it's going through and you open, you see just her reaction, like her secrets out, and, and Christopher Waltz is just sitting there, just eating up screen, uh huh, and just it's such a cool moment to yeah. see too. And as we see as it's progressing, there's more tension building, and Bond is finding out the truth of what's going on. And then they flash forward to a winter scene. Yeah. And that's the one thing you got to remember with Bond. It's exotic locales. Yeah, exotic locales, and they always span like a, a good chunk of time, mm-hmm. too. So it's not just like, oh, in 24 hours. And yeah. as we see the action picks up, you see more fighting, you see more you know, car chases and motorcycle chases, too. And you know, he's, he's fighting through things with a, with a machine gun point out. And this is where we get to arguably. The I the moment I didn't see the first time through the trailer, but the second time through, my jaw hit the floor and I went, "Oh my god!" Yeah, because Christoph Waltz is talking and it's a big, you know, it looks like a dinner party, you know, gala. Like is it looks like a big gala? Yeah, it looks like a big gala. You know, he's in a room full of people, all dressed in suits and looking very nice and very dapper. And there's a spotlight on him and on James Bond specifically. And then it cuts and you see a woman and the spotlight shines over her. And my god. Please, if I'm wrong, hashtag ODPH. It looks like Vesper from Casino Royale. Yeah, no. When Pad brought this up and he showed me, I have to say, I agree. I think it is, and I'm going to say why. Because this is going to be Daniel Craig's final bond. It is. Like, win, win, lose, or draw, it's done. No, yeah. Like, there is no, oh, he might come back for another. No, this is it. No, we were Like, done, he's done after this. Yeah, we've been talking with Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming about this, too. And we're all on the same page. This is it. And I think that what they're going to do is not in the same sense of Avengers Endgame. Sure. But this is going to be tying up everything of Daniel Craig's run. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of familiar faces come back. And this one, prime. Yeah. Prime. Because yeah. Casino Royale was the first one of the was, Daniel. Was the first one that came out in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Like, And that's been the one thing with the, the Daniel Craig James Bond films is they're all directly connected. Now... In past James Bond films, there's been allusions and kind of hints to other stuff. I know, you know, right. I know in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, like we mentioned, yeah, it's awful, but he did get married in that one. There was a later Roger Moore film, I believe. I can't remember which one it was, yeah. where he does go to the gravesite where his wife is buried. So, like, there have been, you know, allusions to stuff and, you know, hints at stuff, but nothing ever definitively like, oh, these are all connected, tied together. No. Casino Royale ended. Quantum of Solace picked up. Minutes after Casino Royale ended. Yeah, so this is a very interesting play. Yeah, no, I, that one, I, my jaw hit the floor the second time I was watching through the trailer. Like, oh my God, that looks like Vesper. Yeah. And then we see this really cool scene where he's under ice and it appears that is Bullfeld standing over him. You would think. But I'm saying no. And I'm saying that this is where we see Rami Malek's character of Safin played. Uh huh. That he now 
takes over the mantle that Bofeld was leading. Yeah. And we do see a quick image of Remy Malik in this film as well. Yeah, because the shot we see where they're, you know, Bond's under the ice and fighting up, and then the gentleman is standing over him. It's the same kind of broken mask that we saw earlier in the trailer, and it's the bot. If you're looking at a person, it's the bottom right portion of their face. When we go and we see Rami Malik in the next sequence, they do a very good job in the editing of this trailer that you don't see that portion of his face. Exactly. So that's why we have to think that it is him that has got Bond trapped under ice. Uh huh. And then you see just more typical James Bond, more James Bond action, wild action cars going flipping. On. Buildings exploding. Possibly one of the coolest stunts I've seen in movie history. Yeah, the Evil Knievel motorcycle right up the wall. Yeah. The bridge, which you have to see to believe. Like, we can't even try yeah. doing justice. This with. is like some Tom Cruise level stuff because I don't know where they are. Because the thing with Bond films is like, outside of Spectre, where they went to the middle of the desert into Blofeld's facility, it's never like, oh, hey, they're going to New York where we have Avengers Tower. We're going to. You know, Gotham, where stately Wayne Manor is Mm -hmm. like they just go to locations because that's what the story has. That's where they are. They're in, you know, it's the same city we've been seeing throughout the trailer. And it looks like maybe like a a church or some large building is on the one side. And it's got a long line of people coming out of it, stretching down and then going down the stairs where Bond rides up the side of this like tunnel doorway thing. And just like Ken said. Evil can evil the things, and if he doesn't clear these people, they're going to have to do some scattering. Exactly. So it's one of the coolest action sequences you'll see. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of get more of Bond in the gala and just, you know, typical Bond stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the easiest way to describe it. But then the final scene. Oh, my God. Pad, I, I, I'm going to let you take this one. I can't so, even. So he's driving the very well-known Aston Martin DB5, uh, first driven in Goldfinger, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, driving it a little dinged up, a little scratch. It's It's been through some stuff, and he's get, getting chased by bad guys who are in Range Rovers. Bells, you know, there are chir- there's a shot of church bells ringing, and you see the bad guys rolling up on him with submachine guns pointed at the car for all it's worth because, hey, that thing is outfitted by Q Branch, which means it is bulletproof to the nines. Right. And he's sitting there, they're peppering the thing, and, you know, whoever's in the car with him, presumably it's Madeline Swan, is taking cover, and he's just sitting there like, oh, you think you got this? Presses a button, the headlights on the uh, Aston Martin drop down, machine guns come out, and their machine guns in kind of like that, you, you know, chain gun type of thing you see in video games. And he floors it, starts doing donuts while firing this thing and taking out all of his enemies around him cut title hits yeah it's absolutely wild but it's it goes to fit the james bond persona no time to die is coming out in april next year yep and the final very final shot you see before you get the the date card is it's not the gun barrel sequence you see at the beginning of the film but i mean it essentially could be it's down a circular hallway he turns and fires very quickly yeah so it's obviously a cool way to finish it off i mean this got me excited about it yeah i mean not that i wasn't going to go see it originally but to see how they're going to play out Daniel Craig's final run is going to be really telling. Mm-hmm. That obviously, like we've said, he is very polarizing in a lot of fans' eyes. Yeah. How he finishes out his run is going to be interesting. Yeah. And it's going to be more interesting. I'm going to see how many interesting things I can throw in this episode to see who takes over the mantle. Yeah. No, that that's going to be you know the big thing. And now that they've kind of finished filming, and you can already guess that they're on, they're already in the process of casting or looking for the next one. You would have to think so, because, I mean, obviously, James Bond has lasted how many years now? Yeah, James, it's been around since in films since the early 60s. Right, so it's not going to go anywhere. So no. They just have to decide what they want to do with this, and, of course, this film is going to make money. Oh, yeah. So the franchise is going to keep rolling no matter what happens. So it'll be a very telling sign of where yeah. the direction goes. 
I'm excited to see how they play this out. And obviously with Daniel Craig, he is done after this. I understand they could probably throw him some Christian Bale, Batman-type money and maybe consider it, but why at this stage? Yeah, no, that's the thing. I mean, he he hasn't been in the most Bond films, but in terms of, like, real-life years, he has been Bond the longest. Yeah, so it makes sense for him to just bow out gracefully and call it a day. Well, and that's the thing is these movies are very cumbersome, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but, you know, it's not like some movies where, oh, hey, we're going to go to the green screen in... England or Atlanta or Los Angeles or whatever. No, like they're filming in, you know, the Sweden, Sweden or London or whatever. No, they're in Sweden or London. Yeah, they're not green screening this thing. No, definitely not. I mean, that's the one thing about James Bond and style that you have to film in. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a long shoot. It takes up many, many hours of a day. Right. And that's the thing is, I know after they finished filming Spectre, they people almost immediately, oh, you're going to do another one? And he just got done filming for nine months. You know, right. Are you really going to expect somebody who just got done doing something for nine months to almost immediately say, yeah, I'll do another one? Yeah. Like, if me, I'd be like, no, no. Ask me in six months. Yeah. So this is going to be fun to watch. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Like I say, where they go with this entire story is going to be a defining moment for Daniel Craig and his run. You have to say it. Yeah, no, it absolutely will be. It's, it's, you know, it's it like people say, like it, the saying goes, it's hard to change a first impression. Mm. This is going to be what people remember him for. You know, it's going to be how it ended, how it went out. You know, Pierce Brosnan for his for a good run of films he had, Die Another Day, not that good. No, definitely not. not. You know, and that's kind of the thing is it. it for what a good legacy he would have had, I won't say great. It was a good legacy, you know, not the best films by any means, but it was there was some good films. Die Another Day definitely soured his run a little bit. You know, Daniel Craig had some good runs. I think it, this movie, if it does well and it is a good film, can only elevate it even more. Yeah, so definitely stay tuned for that in April 2020. You know we're going to be there covering that. Yeah, huh? And hit us up on that hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the No Time to Die trailer? Did you like it? Did you hate it? When? What is your take on Daniel Craig? Is he your Bond, or is it a big mistake to keep him rolling in the film? It's a lot of interesting talk we're going to have. Another interesting edit. I like how we're going with this episode. Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Josh. And this is Tyler. And we are the 30 and Nerdy Podcast. And right now, you're listening to our boys, Ken M., Padawan J., and Coach Duffy, over at the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast. Hey, this is Rob Kacharek from the band 607, Autopilot Off, and Walking Distance, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and let's talk a little Mandalorian, shall we? Yes. Now, before we get into that, though, we got to give a shout out to Josh and Tyler, 30 and Nerdy Podcast. What up? We actually crossed over with them this week Mm -hmm. and had a little discussion about who is the BMF of the Star Wars universe. Who is the baddest, meanest fighters in all the galaxy long, long, far away? Mm -hmm. We gave our thoughts. You definitely got to go over. Check out 30andnerdypodcast.com. Go hit up the episode. You can find them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, countless other places. If not, we will have that on ochodoroparleyhour.com by the end of the day to find the link. So definitely go check them out and let us know about the episode. But we have to talk a little Mandalorian as we always do. We are talking spoilers, so our international audience does not have Disney Plus yet. I'm so, so sorry. We are going to put the show notes in of when to jump back in the episode and skip mm-hmm. out for this because we do care and we don't want to spoil any for anything about this for you. So we are going to talk spoilers. If you have seen the episodes, let's get into it. Three, two, one. 
Pad, what do you think? I thought it was a really good episode. We finally got to see Gina Carano on the uh, show. Yes. You know, it wasn't action-packed and, you know, packed to the brim with explosions and gunfights, but it, w- it was world-building. It's You know, it's introducing Gina Carano's character, who I definitely get the feeling from this uh, episode and obviously set photos for season two, which is currently filming, uh, that it's establishing her character in, in what she's going to be in this overarching, you know, galaxy. Yeah, this one definitely was not the crazy action that we've seen thus right. far. A little more character development. Uh, actually, the episode directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Yep. That Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh-huh. Which... Might have heard of her. Yeah, you might have heard of her from a couple of movies and such. But this was a very low-key episode, but definitely played a lot into developing who the Mandalorian is. Yeah. Who is the man behind the helmet? Yep. And as we see that he is still on the run with Baby Yoda, as we're just going to call him, we're not calling him Kid Yoda. No, and this is something we need to get into right now, and I'm putting my foot down on this one. All right, let me give you a disclaimer. Sure. The thoughts, views, and opinions of Padawan J and Ken M other representing the ODPH podcast. It doesn't represent Coach Duffy, but he, I'm sure he'll join in on this. So we are going to give you a listener discretion is advised. Let's jump into this, shall we? So everyone's calling the child, because that's what I'm going to call him, because that's what I've seen uh, Funko call him for the upcoming pop figure they're going to put out of, mm-hmm. the, of the child. Looks like Yoda. There's no denying it. Looks like Yoda. Everyone's calling it Kid Yoda because let's be, we don't know what the race is called. Mm-hmm. We don't know you know what planet it, it hails from, so we can't say, oh, it's a whatever. It is not Yoda. Mm-hmm. Reincarnation is not a thing in Star Wars. It is not a thing. It will not be a thing. Yes, there are some instances in Legends, and note that I say that, Legends, which are now not canon, not part of the story, not in the universe, where there is some sort of quote-unquote reincarnation. I know the Emperor did it in the in the Dark Empire series. That wasn't reincarnation, though. That was cloning his body and just transferring his mind into it. Mind transfer is a thing. I know essence transfer is a thing. But no, those were all in Legends. So to the folks going, oh, Kid Yoda's going to, Baby Yoda's going to turn into Kid Yoda and become Yoda. No. No. Anyone who's thinking, oh, this is going to be, be Yoda, and he's going to show up in future films. No, this is taking place after the events of Return of the Se- Return of the Jedi. Ooh, I almost really dated the movie, dated the thing. It's taking place after the events of Return of the Jedi. Yoda shows up in The Last Jedi as a Force ghost. Any of the instances in Legends that were like mind transfer or you know transferring your essence or anything were all done by dark side users, mm-hmm. Sith users. Nobody on the light side ever did this. So I can't see Yoda going, oh, hey, here's a child. I'm just going to take my mind and put it in this child. It's not Yoda. Stop it. Yeah, we just have to clear that up because, like we said, we we keep seeing that that link keeps popping up and amongst other sites as well. Yeah. But we just want to clarify that, that no, that is not happening, that is clickbait. Calling it Kid Yoda is fine. It looks like Yoda, yes. We don't know what the race is called. We don't even know the thing's name. Yeah. You know, that's fine. But to sit here and go, oh, it's going to be Yoda. It's going to turn into Yoda. This is how they're going to bring Yoda back. Stop. They're not going to Gandalf this thing like from Lord of the Rings and have him come back to life. No. Yeah, this is bad clickbait. So we're just telling you to avoid it and just stop buying into it because it's not going to happen like that. And we just want to very much clarify that because we've had fans of the show hit us up and ask us about this. And we keep saying, no, this is not 
no, like where are you yeah. getting this from? And everybody keeps sending us these articles and we're just yeah. trying to clarify it. Don't buy in that clickbait because no. that's exactly what it is. That being said, we're jumping back into the episode mm-hmm. and we see that the Mandalorian is now on the run and meets up with, we. it looks like an old friend, so yeah. to speak, or friend of me. Friend of me, something. Yes, and we meet the character of Cara Dune. Played by Gina Carano. Yes, awesomely played by yes. Gina Carano. And we see that this is where they're kind of leaning into there's more history to the Mandalorian mm-hmm. than, than meets the eye. And we see this. They do have that little fight to a draw, you know, a little standoff as they will. And, you know, typical. It's like when two heroes meet yeah. for the first time. I can, also, always... I can also imagine that being like the bounty hunter way of shaking hands. Yeah, exactly. Like instead of saying, oh, how are you doing? It's been a while. I haven't seen you in a while. Now we're going to have a fist fight. Yeah, and you kind of hear the history of Kara's character mm-hmm. and how basically why she's there. Yeah. And Pad, what is the reason for that? She's there because the planet they're on, and I don't think the planet was ever named, um, has been having issue with Clatoonian Raiders. Now, if the the alien race looked semi-familiar to you, because, I, Lord, I know it did for me, uh, they, I had to look it up. They are Clatoonians, which have appeared in a couple of films, uh, specifically episodes one and two of uh, Star Wars being the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Yeah. they were So they've been having some issues with that, and, that you know, it's just some farmers they are trying to live their life. And, and go about their business, but these guys keep showing up in Wrecking House. Yeah, it definitely is just a lingering factor that's kind mm-hmm. of floating around. So as he's Mandalorian is kind of finding his way through the planet, and Kara is not happy that he's there. Right. He gets stopped on his way off the planet by two fishermen that are really trying to beg for his help. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where you see... He's really kind of, you know, weighing his options. Like you kind of yeah. see him showing another side to his character. Yeah, and it and it's an interesting one to see because you know, gone are now the days where he can just go to Carl Weathers and go, "Hey, I need my next paycheck." Like he doesn't have that option now. Like you can arguably say, you know, his time as a as a bounty hunter is over. Like he he can try and get in with another guild of bounty hunters if there is more than one. I'm not sure, mm. but. You know, with as much as that neck of the universe talks and word travels, he's going to be, in essence, blacklisted from doing any sort of bounty hunter work. Right, because he's already public enemy number one amongst the bounty hunting community. Yeah, and it's real hard to hide from those guys right. and so, girls. So he does take this job up, so to speak, mm-hmm. that he's really trying to lay low, but he's trying almost to do the right thing. Like I'm not saying it's like an atonement thing, right? but he's really just trying to say, okay, if I'm going to be here, might as well make the best of a bad situation. Mm -hmm. So he says, all right, he'll take the job. And then he actually winds up hiring Kara to help him out with this. And then he meets another character in the village named Omera, Mm -hmm. who is a widow and who's housing him. And you kind of see that there's a connection, so to speak. Yeah. And the Mandalorian is almost, you know, using her as a confidant. Yeah, it, it's kind of it's someone he can definitely relate to, you know, because at one point she tries to take off the mask and he stops her. And he actually tells her he hasn't taken it off in front of someone since he was just a boy. And and he goes into that to say that he wasn't always a Mandalorian and that the tribe, you know, took him in after the death of his parents, thus maybe giving us some insight as to why he's risking his entire livelihood and lip in life mm. for bit for the child yeah so it's definitely a lot of question marks happening mm-hmm. that he's really confiding in. it's almost kind of saying it's, he's always feeling the weight of the world on him yeah that you know he's now explaining about his helmet and he's right. explaining about how he you know his, his origin and then as they're going through 
who's attacking the village. Mm-hmm. They find that the antagonists have something of Star Wars lore that nobody wants to see. Yeah, uh, they run into the tracks of an ATST. Now, I should note, this is not the big giant one you see in Empire Strikes Back. This is kind of the smaller one you see in Return of the Jedi. Yes, so... Which is still nothing you want to run into and something that these farmers, these poor farmers are not equipped to handle. Yes, so the Mandalorian comes up with a plan that he's going to train them Mm -hmm. to battle, which... Kara is looking at him absolutely crazy. Well, like, we, well yeah, because they come back and they tell the villagers, like, all right, listen, you just need to leave and make home elsewhere. And they're like, no, this is our home. We, we have our livelihood here. And she, she, uh, Omera notes, uh, she, the, she's the only villager who knows how to use a blaster. Although the others are saying, oh, no, we'll learn. We'll learn. You know, and, and we'll learn if you teach us. And, you know, Omera goes, we're not leaving. So then, much, very much in the way of maybe the Seven Samurai from uh, uh, Akira Kurosawa, or even the one episode of Clone Wars, I'm blanking on which one it was, because something similar happens in Clone Wars. They then start teaching the farmers how to fight. Yeah. So, it's a, it almost had like the Hobbs and Shaw feel. Yeah. Almost bit. at the end there. I was like, oh. Like, I get it, I but, you know, I wasn't, like, super mad about it. I was mm-hmm. like, well, how else are you going to play this out? So they set the trap to take out the ATST, mm-hmm. and everything is happening, and at nighttime there's the big battle. But what happens? The antagonists do not fall for the trap. No. No, so the ATST avoids the ditch that was dug yeah. to disable it, and now there's the big battle happening. Mm-hmm. And then this is where it comes down to the cunning of the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. that he really has to come up with something on the fly. And good thing Kara Dune is there, too, because yeah. Kara steps in to really get the ball rolling with the trap. And she goes out of her way to lure the ATST mm-hmm. into it. So, Because once you take that out of the equation, really what else is there for right. the... For it, the I'm going to butcher the name of it. What, the ATST? No, the... the oh, the Clatoonians. Thank you. Um, the, the thing with the ATST, too, is is Kara's really risking her life on this one because, with you know, it's kind of like with, with missiles in wartime. You don't really need to be that accurate to do some damage. ATSTs are very much in the same way with their blasters on the front end. You don't have to be like a, a sharpshooter to hit them. You just point and fire. Yeah, so the Clatoonians. Did mm-hmm. I say that right? Yes. Yes. Fuck. <sighs> Finally, after a couple of rehearsals, I got it right. Yes. Um, you know, obviously they defeat him, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, the happy moment that, yeah. okay, there might be peace in the valley, so to speak. That mm-hmm. after they take out the ATST, basically it just kind of falls apart, and then whoever was attacking the village is running away. It's uh-huh. scared. And obviously, when you take away the biggest weapon they have, they have yeah. nothing left. So there's this kind of sense of calm, and the Mandalorian just kind of says, well, I've done my work here. I'm yeah. out. And even Cara Dune is even looking at him saying, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you could just be happy here, and he realizes there'll never be peace. Right, yeah, because there's, there's a cute little moment where all the kids in the village are going up to the child and playing with the child. And I got and I got to say, I love the one up point in this episode where he's sipping on some bone broth, mm-hmm. I, I, soup, I think, at one point, which has now sur- surpassed the Kermit sipping tea meme. Yeah. You know, that's that's a new Kermit sipping tea meme. Love that. But, you know, he, he w- even wants to leave the child there because he sees how happy the kids are and how happy he could be. And he even tells, you know, uh, Kara, you know, I'm leaving him here, that traveling with him, it's no life for a kid. Right. And even this gets brought up to a greater extent because there is a bounty hunter that's tracing the ch- or checking the tile. And yeah. Kara actually kills him before he can take the, the kill shot yeah. on Baby Yoda. Right. But he did, but the Mando does pick up one of the tracking devices that was given up, out by Carl Weathers 
and and this is like we said where he comes to the realization I can't leave him here he'll never know peace right so at this stage the Mandalorian rides off in the sunset he mm-hmm. gives up the woman that he's in love with it we we're guessing at that is kind of a stretch but yeah. at this point who knows but this is just kind of a one shot episode we don't know if we'll see Omara come back yeah who knows I mean anything's possible with the series so yeah. I mean it could happen but overall it was a good episode very much so nothing really super to write home about but it's just a fun episode and seeing where Cara Dune's character is going to reappear down the road mm-hmm. I gotta imagine we'll bump into her sooner than later uh-huh it's gonna happen but final thoughts on the episode before we close out great episode liked it you know wasn't the best one of the season but it was even better it was even the, the series keeps getting better and better even more excited for the episode that's coming out this Friday, directed by one Dave Filoni. Best right, best director they have in Star Wars, Fight Me. Yeah, so definitely stay tuned for that. If you got Disney+, Plus, definitely catch that episode. And then hit us up on social media, will you? Hashtag ODPH. Join in that conversation. What was your thoughts on this week's Mandalorian? We definitely want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is Nerd Bomber here, one of the co-hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our weekly podcast started as a way for three friends to keep in touch and discuss their passion for movies, gaming, technology, and entertainment. And since then, we've grown into a fantastic online community. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode discussing the latest nerdy news, and then we go hands-on with our weekly adventures and a fun trivia show. Sound interesting? Check us out on every podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or hit us up at onlinewarriorspodcast.com. Hey, this is Matt Jane. This is Julian Hepworth. I'm Ross Marchuka. And John McBride, and we're shot at the robots. You're listening to... D-P-H Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Now, usually we do one shots, Mm -hmm. but there is a very big event that is happening on the CW next week. Is there? Recording. Is there? I'm not sure. Yeah, you might have heard of it. It's a very legendary story by DC Comics. It's Uh called Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, you know what? I might have heard of that one. Yeah, so we have... Decided to kind of give you a little taste, a little appetizer, what to expect. We're obviously the two shows on the CW that have been really catching our eyes and obviously mm-hmm. leading into it have been The Flash and Arrow. Yep. Supergirl has set themselves up to join in the crisis, and I know that they brought back Lex Luthor in the mm-hmm. last episode. And it all kind of sets up with the character of Nash Wells, and we're going to be talking spoilers. Yes. That Nash Wells, who you see in The Flash, has been searching after the Monitor. Now, Who's been the, playing Minor. Yeah, who has been definitely playing everybody and kind of working his angles to see what he can do to stop the crisis, which mm-hmm. is destroying the multiverse. And it's going to wipe out all life as existence. So everybody has been getting slowly but surely brought into this mess. Yep. And with Supergirl, the Monitor has been working everybody to test him about who is worthy to fight to save the world. Mm-hmm. And obviously him bringing back Lex Luthor after Lex was killed off last season right, is a really telling point of what he thinks of the earth and their heroes Mm -hmm. and villains so to speak but in lex's mind he's always been a hero so it's really interesting to see yet again interesting how this is all unfolding because supergirl has a lot to a lot of stake going on this yeah and it's been a good season too i've been catching up slowly but surely i mean they've been tying in a lot with leviathan and leviathan's wrapping up in the comics as well to see how this is all panning out has been very dare I say, a, a step in the right direction right. for them because I'm always very critical of Supergirl. But this has been a very refreshing take this season. I've liked the changes they've done, and I know they're going to kind of go through a very big and drastic change when they get to Crisis. Mm-hmm. Batwoman, on the other hand, has been solid and been yeah. slowly improving. 
really has been kind of a loose tie-in sure. to Crisis. Yeah. That, I mean, everybody shows the end scene where Nash Wells tracks down the monitor wherever his lair is and has, like, this weird change of heart because originally he's been trying to kill him, apparently. Right. And now he decides to, you know, basically become his servant, kind of like how Galactus does with Silver, Silver, Silver Surfer. Yeah, I mean, that was, and don't get me wrong, that clip or scene was exciting to see when Batwoman aired because that was the first time we saw it. Wasn't as exciting three more times this week. Yeah, I, I didn't really see the point of airing it that many times. Yeah. Like, I thought once was good, but they always do this, though. Yeah. Because you remember how they, they did this for Elseworlds? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Elseworlds. And they were saying, like, you have to watch Supergirl. And then, yeah. And then, oh, it was Invasion, rather. I'm sorry. And then you had to see, like, it was the, the 10 minutes of the episode. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And then they, they, they re-showed it the next night on Flash. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, they were like, oh, yeah, you got to see all the episodes to get this. And I remember watching that episode of Supergirl going, all right, when are we going to tie this in? Oh, the last five minutes. Cool. Yeah, and then they replayed it. And I was like, yeah. there's no purpose of it. Yeah, that miffed me a little bit. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. Absolutely awful. But Elseworlds has been the setup for this, that we have now kind of say there's a multiverse going on. And now we're finally tying everything together. And, and it, like, I cannot stress enough, too. It's, you know, new comic book day, but definitely check out the Crisis on Infinite Earths trade paperback. Mm-hmm. If you're a DC Universe subscriber, you can read it. If not, get down to your local comic book shops. Ask them for it. I'm sure they've, they've got to have some issues lying around. You want to get caught up on this to see the whole saga of how this is going to unfold. Yes. So Batwoman, like I said, has been a loose tie-in. And she's all primed and ready to go for this because it's going to be Batwoman, Supergirl, and the Flash mm-hmm. that are going to be the catalyst for the five-night crossover that is only going to be three nights until January, which nobody is talking about except uh-huh. us. Yeah. And I've been told that we have been breaking this story. Yeah. Which I hate breaking this because, my God, how are they going to do this and leave everybody hanging for a month? It, it's their version, albeit a lot shorter, uh, that Marvel did, where you had the uh, you had the end of Infinity where, my God, how are they going to come back from this? Yeah, you got to wait a year. You know, we're obviously not waiting a year. My God, I don't think we'd be able to do that with, with this or do that a second time as comic fans. But, no, it's it's the one thing nobody's talking about, and I that's the one thing I kept taking note of watching Flash and Arrow last night was how are they wording this? And they were airing promotions for it. And it said, you know, the five... Now, they worded it very specifically that they can't really get in trouble for this. No. That they said the five-night crossover starts this Sunday. Yeah, which is... They didn't specifically say the five-night-in-a-row crossover. They just said it's going to take place over the course of five nights. Yeah, they're definitely hooking you left and right about Uh this. It's it's just... It's to hook you in, and then they're going to dangle you. Yep. And, oh, it's it's a dirty place, CW. Bad play. But this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So we are going to be talking about the Flash setup and the Arrow setup this episode. Spoilers galore, but you know how we do this. If you want to, pause the episode. If not, take our words for it. Because let's get into a 3-2-1 pad. Flash last night. How did they end the season? I thought they ended it very well. I mean, they obviously had to deal with Barry being mind-controlled, zombie-controlled, whatever you want to say, by uh, blood work. And how are they going to get out of this? And having... You know, a Walking Dead-like scenario take place in Central City where everyone's infected and walking like zombies. I definitely think they took a page out of uh, Greg Nicotero and those folks over at uh, AMC and and how they portrayed these mind-controlled folks. Uh, It was very interesting to see, especially, you know, how the the police are really overwhelmed by this entire thing and going, oh, we have to use non-lethal force and and just kind of them dealing with all that and then really getting to see if Barry does end up dying in, in crisis. And let's be honest, he's supposed to, but comics, he might not. It was interesting to see how Team Flash is going to handle things once he's gone, presumably, 
because they've had instances in the past where they've had to take care of things because he doesn't have powers or he's someplace else or he's in another time and they've really dropped the ball like badly. But this time they to me, they really seem to have a good handle on it. Yeah, for me. And like I said, I call this the season finale because in my mind, this has felt like its own short season Mm -hmm. because we know with crisis, everything changes. Mm -hmm. Nothing is going to be the same. So for this season, blood work has been the the major villain. Yeah. I've been very critical about this because I think the one major flaw of the Flash TV show has the has been the underutilization of the rogues gallery. In my opinion, the Flash's rogues are in the top five of all comic villains of all time. Behind Spider Man and Batman and we can debate about everybody else. Sure. But those two, I mean, are untouchable. Those two rogues galleries, enough said. Batman is probably the best one. Spider-Man has to be up there. Oh, absolutely. 1A, 1B. Yeah. Flash is definitely in that talk. So to obviously borrow a villain that has really been around for a cup of coffee in blood work, granted, it gives you a little more leeway to really delve into the character. Sure. But this season, it just didn't really do anything. He's for me not. The, he's not the greatest, but I'm also okay with him because it's not another speedster. I'm and I'm fine with that too. I mean, there, I'm sorry. There's only so many seasons I can see where the main goal is. Oh, I gotta, I gotta come up with the ability to run faster. Yeah, which I, which I get. But like I say, they have so many other better villains to use. Oh yeah. The fact that they don't. And granted, I understand where they want to go, and it's nothing to do with the acting of Sandil Rathamuri. That has nothing to do on him. Oh, he he's is, great. He's been great. He's awesome. He's been making the best of this role. So oh, I, yeah. I, I don't criticize him. I criticize the the character he has to play because, like I say, there's better villains to use this season, and this one just really didn't connect with me. But he finally is setting up Barry. He finally has been dangling the fruit that I can save Crisis. Mm-hmm. I can stop Crisis, rather. Uh-huh. I can save the world. Because that's been the whole plot of this whole ser- season of Flash thus far. Sure. Has been Barry knows Crisis is coming. You can't avoid it. You you have 24 hours to live. How do you live them? Yeah. That's in, a, in a larger sense that he now has to train his successors to take over the mantle to protect Central City. And he's doing this by any means necessary. He's been working everybody to get them ready. Yeah. And now he's basically made a deal with the devil to be controlled by blood work. And yeah. then it turns out, well, you know, you didn't get what you bargained for. Well, and the other thing I liked with this episode is how the last episode was kind of Barry coming to grips with what's coming and am I going to be able to stop this? What's going to happen to me? On the flip side, at least to me, it seemed like we were getting that, but from Iris's perspective mm-hmm. of the man you love and the man you married and the man, you know, till death do us part, you know, in love and sickness or in health, her coming to grips with, uh, you know, Barry possibly dying because there's that whole uh, conversation she has with Cisco right as things are kicking off and he, she tries going to talk to him and it doesn't break through and Cisco goes, listen, the man you married and loved is gone. You know, it's not even the fact that he's gone now. He was going to be gone at some point. He's going to die and not be around anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a very powerful scene. No, it definitely was. I mean, they do very well when they establish this. I mean, Candace Patton has always really brought the most out of Iris that she can mm-hmm. when she has these roles. And, I mean, and Carlos Velez has always been great as Cisco. So when they're, when they're having this kind of hearts to hearts because they know what's happening with Barry. And they know that they have to really establish that, okay, the man you love is gone. But is he gone? And you know, yeah. the one thing about the Flash is Flash always has hope. Yeah. Always does. So is his team going to give up and roll over or are they going to fight it? And they decide to fight. And this is where they kind of play into Russo's, a.k.a. Bloodworks, you know, foils. Because he, he buys into his own ego. Yeah. That, that he basically, 
instead of you know having everybody converted and falling under him, he decides to you know make it widespread. Instead of taking out Team Flash, he wants to infect the entire city. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like he thinks he's the smartest and most brilliant guy in the room, and yeah, he might not be. Yeah, and he gets played out left and right because yeah. because if you give Team Flash time to think, they get stuff done, mm-hmm. and that's what they do. And they basically tip their hat that how Barry told them last time of how to beat Russo about making the connection and just you know using his own ego against him. It's almost like old school spy stuff with like code words and little hints. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like an underlying theme of this episode, I think. Yeah. But it works though because yeah, yeah. they wind up figuring out a way to use the particle accelerator which I mean it's always scary when they mess around with that. Yeah. It's never good when they like, mess with that. Like do you remember what happened? This is what caused everything in season 1. Uh-huh. But no, we're going to decide to mess around with it. Okay. Sure. Hey, the world's going to end anyway. Who what, cares? What's the worst that could happen? Exactly. So they do that, and they mix in uh, Bloodworks blood yeah. in with the mix. And then Allegra, who's been you know, a side character that yeah. is, we really don't know what she's doing yet, but obviously she'll play a bigger role as the season moves forward, I would imagine. You would think. So you mix in all three of those, and then they find a way to basically cure Russo from taking over the city with his... Well, stop him, not even really cure him. Well, yeah, it's basically to stop him, but this is where I thought the episode really picked up because Mm -hmm. in the comics, if you've seen the character Bloodwork, he basically looks like Venom on steroids. Yeah. Just a red Venom. Not Carnage-like, but it's like a huge hulking figure. We finally see this happen on the show, Mm -hmm. which I'm okay with. I'm like, all right, cool. So as we're going here... He does buy into his own ego that he has a hallucination of his mother that basically was the whole reason that he became blood work, that yep. he was trying to find a cure for her. Yep. And then, sure enough, it's enough of a hallucination that basically when the Flash tricks him in this, he can go and lock him into prison. Yep. And then this works. And then, you know, blood work is taken out, and, you know, he does this whole villain, you know, monologue yeah. of, like, I'll get you, Gadget. And then, <laughs> yeah. So, essentially, with Russo now in Argus custody... Team Flash is like, okay. And uncurable. Yeah, he's uncurable, so he's going to be basically on ice for a while. Team Flash decides, okay, well, Crisis is here. Let's just all stay together as a family, as as, as the show has been since day one. And I'm not going to lie. They went to that final scene where it's, you know, everybody, the fa- whole family, quote, unquote, sitting around. I thought my the speakers on my TV broke because it was just dead silent. And I'm like, wait, did the sound cut out? Did something go wrong with my TV? No. Oh, no, they're just sitting here dead silent. Yeah, they're just in dead silent. And, you know, what can you say when you see the red wave coming? Mm-hmm. And they have not experienced this. No. Flat, or Arrow has. Oh, yeah. So Arrow knows exactly what this is. Team Flash hasn't, but Team Flash knows that it's coming. So everything the monitor has been setting up and testing Barry and basically telling him, you're going to die, yeah. is now coming to fruition. And just when that moment of clarity hits... This is where the episode really sunk in. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, here we go into crisis. And then they end, of course, showing the Nash scene again, which uh-huh. enough said. For the third time at this point. Yeah, which we know Tom Cavanaugh is going to be playing Pariah in, in Crisis, which it we, we talked about this on previous episodes, that whatever Harrison Wells' incarnation was going to turn into that. Yep. And now we're going to kind of flip that into where we're going with Arrow, because Arrow has also been setting up, and Arrow has been, I would say, arguably more so connected with Crisis than Flash. Yeah, no, definitely more so. So as you see, the Arrow this season, Oliver Queen, has been reliving his life and basically doing the Monitor's work. That He has agreed to help the Monitor save the universe and sacrifice in his own life, which we're assuming is the deal he made to end Elseworlds. Mm-hmm. So that being said, he's been on his own super spy mission, so to speak, going through different worlds 
and reliving his life and just having that interaction, which is cool for a final season. Yeah. Because it it's almost back, like an episode of This Is Your Life. Yeah, because it brought back a lot of old characters that yeah. we haven't seen, especially, yeah. like I said, when we saw Tommy Merlin come back. That Oof. was the most jaw-dropping, like, oh, Yo. now we're now we're in business. So now we tie it into where it all began. The episode was called Purgatory. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about Arrow's history, that's what he called the NU. Yep. Which was the island he was trapped on for five, five years. years. And then now he has his whole family with him. Uh huh. Of you know the the future kids of Mia, blood William. family and uh, not blood family. Yeah, which is a very. It was cool to see. It was cool to see. But it, it was it, cool it, to see because you know we're on what season eight now. I believe yep. season eight. You know he's had his number of of you know accomplices and and helpers. It was cool to finally get that scene. You know towards the end where they're all there. They're all standing there. They're all ready to fight. Yeah. And, and it was kind of like the, a nice payoff for. As much as we might have hated the growing cast and not, then thought the cast was too big, it was nice to see the fruits of his labor. Well, yeah, you got a sense that Arrow has really taken a step away from where he is in the comics. Sure. And, and this is also a polarizing topic, too, that a lot of people didn't like the take of Arrow on the show compared to the comics. I'm one of those people that agree with the comics more so, but I'm okay with this interpretation because once he got away from trying to be Batman light, mm. he really shined, and that's where Oliver is really stepped into his role and Stephen Amell has done an amazing job that he's really made the character of Oliver Queen his so that being said to see the fruits of his labor and see where his legacy is going to be and see how they're now seeing the past through their eyes has been a fresh take completely cool with it Mm -hmm. and this one like we say it ties into this because being back on Liang Yu is where it all began and they're on the final mission of trying to find plutonium, mm-hmm. which is never a good thing. No. But, but the monitor wants, the monitor gets. And he, the monitor has now brought in all of Oliver's kids there, and now they are stuck to live the hell that he went through. Yeah. And we do see some old faces return. Mm-hmm. One of which was Edwin or Edward Fryers. Yeah. Which was the original bad villain. I had to Google search this because I forgot about him. I saw him. I was Whoa. like, I the only thing that was disappointing, and I'll get into this in just a little bit, is we didn't see Slade Wilson. Yeah, which I hope for Crisis get Manu Bennett on for five minutes. Yeah, I, he needs to make an appearance. But we do see Fires, and we do see Wintergreen, who wears the Deathstroke mask um, in the beginning of season one of Arrow. Right. We see them confront Oliver, and they're obviously trying to stop it, and everything is. You know, everything that was dead on that island is slowly coming back to life. Which is weird to see. Especially because they don't really do mystic history well no. on Arrow. No. The Damien Dark season, enough said. But when they try dancing around with it, obviously he's reliving his life. And if this is back on the current timeline, so be it. But it works that you have the confrontation and Arrow has to relive one of his biggest missions in his life. And he also has his family to do it with. And then right. he has to kind of save his uh, new family from going down the same road because at this point there is the plane crash that happens right where Roy actually winds up losing his arm oh which, good lord yeah which I can't remember this happened in the comics because I want to say it did uh, I don't know maybe yeah I'm just I'm trying to remember the the pinpoint time because I mean comics you lose an arm you usually gets replaced by cybernetics or you know reasons so this I think ties into something that happened in the comics mm-hmm but as Roy is hurt and he's pinned down by the broken you know, wreckage, Diggle has to make the call about you know cutting his arm off. And then this is where Dinah and Roy, or Renee actually, mm-hmm. are banged up and they can't fight during the main battle, even though they come back later when Oliver decides to lead the troops into 
going to stop fires once and for all, mm-hmm. which is a cool fight scene. Yeah. I, I will say it, yeah. uh, that was a highlight of it. Albeit though, it ended kind of weird because with the whole weapon that they were trying to find and everybody was trying to find the correct DNA to match up. With right. It, and it turned out to be Lila's. Mm-hmm. Not everyone assumed it'd be Oliver's because, well, he's been the, uh, uh, monitors, Aaron boy, right? You know, but no nope, surprise, it's not him. Yeah, because this entire time the monitor has been playing everybody on Arrow. Yeah, to see who is worthy. And the craziest thing about it is nobody was suspecting Lila, but she was brought into the mix. Same thing with Black Canary. Same thing with Green Arrow. Everybody was brought into the mix. Yep. And then it turns out once Lila activates the weapon. We find out the weapon is what gives her the powers of being Harbinger, mm-hmm. which if you've read the comic, you know what Harbinger represents for the monitor. So thus, all of a sudden, that the characters that have been brought back to life, which is Fires and Wintergreen, and we didn't even get to mention, Yao Fei came back. That was a big surprise. Oliver's original mentor, mm-hmm. which they do have that like weird final goodbye, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. You know, they kind of tie up like... You brought me into this mess, so just and that kind of vibe to it. Sure, but it was a good, it was a good, you know, parting way. Yeah, and obviously when Oliver stops Wintergreen and, and fires, they you know they disappear because once once Lila activates that energy, everybody that was dead is gone again. Right. So it was cool to see them come back, but obviously it kind of ties in that the monitor now says, "Okay, you're game worthy. Time. You're worthy. Game time. You're coming with me, Lila." And then everybody is stuck on the island. Yeah. And then it's, again, yeah. And then basically, they've now been told the crisis is, is now forming because Oliver and Mia have that final goodbye moment too, right? And which is a good thing as well because it's one thing they've been playing, and especially how they're going to be passing the mantle mm-hmm. to the show. Like I said, the episode kind of jumped around a little bit, a little bit. Which I that's why I apologize if I'm kind of being a little scatterbrained about this, but it just really goes to show just how much detail they were giving to Arrow because they want to give everybody kind of a final part. And I want to say the thing with Roy losing his arm, I think, is going to come back later. Could be. Because I can't see him just doing that for one episode and then being done unless they're going to do something with him returning to the show, maybe with a cybernetic arm. We don't know. But going into Crisis, we now have the players in place. Mm-hmm. The monitor has set his chips up. Yep. So, Pad, let me ask you this. Going into Sunday's episode of Supergirl, what do you want to see out of this? Tom Welling in the suit, God damn it. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Tom Welling in the suit. He wore it for all of like 10 seconds in the season finale of Smallville. You're bringing him back. You're, you know, after, you know, almost 10 years of not being Clark, you know, you're bringing back Erica Durant's as Lois. Don't give me, you know, just a two minute, one scene shot of them on the farm, which I know is there because it's been in all the ads. Yeah. You know, put him in the suit. God damn it. Yeah, we've seen the trailer too. They they have run a, a trailer which we see Kevin Conroy right. in an exoskeleton. Yeah. And when he says Kate. Yeah. Well she goes, Bruce? Yeah. Kate? Yeah, that is a cool moment that you uh-huh. see just how crisis is affecting and you're now seeing the multiverse is all kind of getting merged. You're seeing planets yeah. get wiped out. It appears that it's gonna be based on Supergirl's Earth. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was an to interesting start. take. Yeah, to start. But you're gonna see that that planet is the first on the chopping block, so can yeah. it survive or can it not? You see Black Lightning is now brought into the yeah. mix, which I thought is a cool nod because we really haven't heard too much about Black Lightning getting tied in. Yeah, and the, the thing we can tell based off of the trailer is he seems really accepting of this really quickly because it, it, it appears to in the trailer that they kind of explain what's going on, and he goes, oh, we got to do this? Okay. Well, I think that he understands the gravity of the situation, that I think it's one thing that is very underrated about his character because, I mean, the season has been very good and it's been very quiet. And they, like I said, they really haven't tied in anything to 
crisis and they're leaving it alone that he's not even being mentioned on his own show about crisis. At least I haven't caught anything. Right. Please correct me if I'm wrong on hashtag ODPH. But to see that him getting brought into this, I think is a cool nod because like I said, his show is very good. It's a, a lot different pace and a lot different tone because the whole center around his show is his family. Right. And it's basically, he's a hero second family first. And, uh, and that's one thing I really dig about the show, but to see him have that interaction with the team, I think is really cool. And to see where they're setting up, we like I said, Tom Welling. We've seen we've seen Brandon Roth appear as Kingdom mm-hmm. Come Superman. Yep. We've seen uh, John Wesley Ship come back as the Flash. Yep. Big, you know, as the actual Flash Flash from the oh, 90s. Yeah. yeah, in the costume, in the full costume. So it's going to be a fan, you know, nod. So we still got to see uh, Burt Ward. Yeah, we get to see Burt Ward. Mark Hamill is yeah. in, involved as well. Mm-hmm. From what we've heard we've heard that the Titans are involved. Not no, not the DC Universe Titans. Not DC Universe Titans. No, uh, schedule conflict among a host of other things. Oh. it's not no. Uh, from what I read online from a trusted person, uh, there was talk of bringing them in, but the way it was written into their contracts was that they would appear on the C- on DC Universe specifically, so that they wouldn't be associated or connected with the CW, so that they could be a little darker, a little grittier, a little more realistic. There was talk of bringing them in for the the crossover, but it was gonna for the short amount of time it would have been, and the small amount of pay it would have been, they didn't feel it was worth it. Interesting. The, the thing I have read is that there will be some form of Titans on there, but it won't be from Titans on the DC Universe. Hmm, that's interesting because especially with Stargirl now going to be involved because they're going to be showing her new episodes on the DC Universe first, mm-hmm. and then they're coming to CW. Uh, yeah. So we did get some confirmation about that, so I'm not sure how that's all going to play out, but that's going to happen. I wouldn't doubt that she appears. I want to see... Doom Patrol make a quick appearance. I need to see Brendan Fraser on there just having that interaction with, like, Cisco. Mm-hmm. Just give me, like, a 30-second scene, and I'm good. I, like I've said before, I think that you're going to see a lot of nods to the great Marv Woolman and uh, George Perez book, and I think that you're going to see a lot of characters get killed off, which is something to really amplify what Crisis is. This isn't going to be like the Arrow season finale where the whole island blows up. Oh, Lord, yeah. And only one casualty, and it's a character nobody cares about. Right. You're not going to see that here. You're going to see massive characters get killed off or disappear. You might see Flash get killed off. You Mm -hmm. might see Arrow get killed off. I know that's the big rumor, and that's probably going to be the big cliffhanger of Crisis when it ends this week on Flash episode uh, nine of the current season when it airs on Tuesday next right. week. That you have Supergirl, you have Batwoman, you have Flash. Then they're going to come back in January with Arrow, and they're going to do the Legends of Tomorrow kickoff. That being said, you're going to see a lot of characters, a lot of interaction. It's going to be a fan fest. I fully suspect you're going to see uh, Supergirl holding either the Kingdom Come Superman in, mm-hmm. in, in her arms, like the iconic scene from the comics. You're going to see that happen. I don't obviously with them tipping off about Tyler Hogan uh, doing the Superman and Lois show, right? You're he's pretty safe. Like I thought yeah. originally they were going to kill him off, which would have been absolutely wild. Yeah, but if they want to take some risks, you're going to do that. I wouldn't doubt that maybe you see Grant Gustin leave Flash for a bit, mm-hmm. and you see him get replaced with Kid Flash. Could that be. he comes back to the show? I wouldn't doubt something like that. I think that Stephen Amell is going to say a swan song to everybody. And then I think maybe he comes back for Arrow to have that final moment where he you know, ties up any loose ends because I think that's what you're going to see. It's going to be the biggest challenge for the CW to pull off. Mm-hmm. We have seen Crisis on Earth X, yeah, and that was arguably their best crossover. 
Invasion was okay. And Elseworlds was better, but not the blow-away thing that I think everybody was right. expecting. Even though it didn't introduce, introduce Batwoman, which I'm okay with. Yeah. And I think, give me some World's Finest with her and Supergirl. Oh, yeah. I'm here for that. Yeah. I think that what they need to do is just really pay homage to the book and what the seriousness of it is. Because, spoiler alert, you're going to have one universe by the time it's all said and done. The multiverse is going to go away. And everybody's going to be on the same earth, which is going to add for some great stories because they don't have to continuously try doing the time jump to Supergirl's Earth or to Batwoman's Earth and, and do any of that nonsense. Yeah, uh, just to jump in here, I did dig up where I saw it on Twitter the other day. Uh, the person said specifically, quote, uh, the team wasn't supposed to appear. Only Hawk and Dove were and possibly Starfire. They would look up in the sky and see Supergirl fly by. This didn't happen for two big reasons. When the show was originally pitched to the actors back in season one, one of the main selling points was that it would be separate to the CW shows. It would be darker and much more realistic. Some of the cast were obviously hesitant to connect Titans to the CW because of that. It was also really inconvenient for the Titans cast to go and shoot it at the time because they would have had to travel a few hours each way uh, just to shoot a two-second scene in the middle of doing an episode and for far less money than, uh, than they felt was fair. Uh, the, and the person did say another team of Titans will be in the crossover, but it's not DC Universe's team. All right. So let me just say this. I have not commented on the Titans season finale. Mm-hmm. They should have made an appearance on the show. Because if they're saying about how realistic and dark and gritty, when you kill off Deathstroke, sorry, spoilers for the season finale of Titans. If you kill off Deathstroke in the first 10 minutes and you have Wonder Girl get electrocuted. Yeah holding a Ferris wheel that is falling when you have Superboy sitting there mm-hmm. that can obviously absorb it and nobody barks up to say something different. Uh, you know, it probably wouldn't hurt to get the rub on there. Yeah. I thought the Titans season finale was okay, but when you killed off Deathstroke, allegedly, I mean, it's comics. Yeah. In ten min- in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. I hate how they dropped the ball in the season finale. So I, I always said... You should have just sent at least two characters over there, mm-hmm. just to just to look up and tie it. Because it's a different world. You could say the world got wiped out, but sure. nobody, nobody knows the difference. Comics, it's just tying into that fan fest. I think you're going to see Star Girl though, and I'm, I'm going to end my rant. Maybe I'll do a blog about the Titan season finale and kind of just deep dive into it. We'll have to wait and see. But to tie it back into this, I think you're going to see more or less a, a fan fans moment of seeing it's a lot of fan tricks. service yeah it's a lot of fan service and that's the best thing you want to see out of these yeah. crossovers and you want to see justice done to the source material once you have that you got a hell of a crossover and they better deliver on a major cliffhanger if they're going to make us wait a month for it to end mm-hmm. but let us know what you think hit us up on that hashtag hashtag odph crisis on infinite earths are you excited for it are you not we gave you the arrow rundown this past few weeks we've given you the flash rundown Supergirl has been good. You should check it out. And they've done little things to tie into the crisis. The monitor has been playing chess, and he's got his team lined up. Are they ready to go? And what characters do you want to see make a crossover into this? We definitely want to know. And let me just end with our comics pick of the week. Unless, Pad, you got a quick one shot? Uh, just that I'm hearing some rumblings that we might be getting another trailer for season two of Lost in Space this week, so definitely be on the lookout for that. All right, fair enough. Comic picks for me. Batman 84 is out, and get down to your local comic shops. Tom King is going to be done in December with Batman 85, and then it switches over to Batman Catwoman for his run. 
Well, so if, if, if it's going based off of his current run, he's just going to probably burn Gotham to the ground at this point. It's been absolutely amazing. I have read some spoilers for Batman 84. I don't want to ruin it for you since it just came out. But let me just say this. Tom King has been basically putting in 100 issues for Batman, which is unheard yeah. of in this day of comics. Yeah. The, see how his story pans out. And like I said, he's going to Batman 85, which is due out December 18th. Mm-hmm. After that... James Tynan takes over the book, which is going to be great, and Tony Daniels signed on to be the artist in January. You should still read Batman if you've been reading Batman because they're going to do a kick-ass job. Tom King is teaming up with Clay Mann, who you've seen Heroes in Crisis. They've done many, many books together. It's for Batman Catwoman. Phantasm is getting edited. Uh-huh. Enough said for me. Pads already got his pre-ordered. Yep. I got mine pre-ordered. We're going to be there first I day. love me some Mask of the Phantasm. Absolutely. So you can't go wrong with that. Deathstroke 50 is out at the stands, too, is the end of Christopher Priest's book, um, which has really redefined the character in my eyes. I love the book. Um, I can just say go pick it up. It'll be worth the while. And going in based on the Marvel side of things, X-Men number three is out. Mm-hmm. Some wild stuff is happening about Kuroka. Read it to fully ingest it because it's going to be some crazy stuff going on. Heavy X-Men book this week, too. Um, Marauders number three comes out, which has been the steal of all steals of the new run of the X-Men. Uh, that and X-Force is my two books I highly recommend every month picking up. And Excalibur 3 comes out as well. So that's a lot to get down to your local comic shops for. We've given you a lot to digest this week. So let's end it on this note. The music you heard on this episode is that of Shout at the Robots. They're our friends. They are amazing. You need to go download their music. Where do you find their music? You ask? I'll tell. OchoDuroParleyHour.com slash music. And you can find out about them. Floodlands, Walking Distance, Fair City Fire and all the great music you hear on the podcast. You can also go over and check out hashtag 607 podcast, where you can find about three fat nerds, Horror Zone 607, photography by Mike Blakesley. And, Pad, you know 8122 Productions is on Patreon. I have heard that. You know Love is Spooky, or Love is Scary, rather, is out on Patreon. Uh-huh. Have you heard the first episode yet? No. I have. Oh, Lord. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Lord. Your Patreon dollars are not going to waste on this show. I will not give any spoilers on this other than I say, if you look at your I don't Patreon, think we can say any spoilers. I can't. I mean, we gave the spoiler about when we were talking about Baby Yoda. I can't do enough justice about what this show does because you have Spooky Mike. Because I have to remember, it's, it's Spooky Mike, not Scary Mike. And you have Dr. Derek. Mm-hmm. And you gave them an open microphone. Uh-huh. Behind a paywall. Behind a paywall. Yeah. Which, Derek, which for those who don't know, uh, behind a paywall, you can say darn near anything. Derek on Twitter... When he runs the wrestling for uh, at uh, Three Fat Nerds Pod on wrestling nights is wild to begin with, but now you give him an uncensored platform to mm-hmm. talk, and you put Spooky Mike with him from Horror Zone Six Hundred Seven. When you look at the Patreon and you go, "Why should I give money?" That is why alone, alone. And then they got some more stuff going on at Eight One Two Two Productions. I can't pr- promote them enough that you need to give them money and be a sponsor because it's an amazing thing that they're doing. So definitely check out 8122productions.com for all that and more. And also remember to check out ochoduroparleyhour.com's Parlay Points, which is a complimentary blogs to the podcast in between episodes, which, yes, I think I'll have to write the Titan season finale one 
because I still got a lot to grind about that one, and I'm just going to save it for that because that will be the only thing that you need to find out about that. You can find out also on odph.com about everything that is going on with the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. You can find links to Podchaser where you can find out the great list that we're on, like Alternate Reality Radio. What up to everybody in Next Wave and Pod Nation. Of course, what up going to everybody on Pod Nation as well. You can find out both of those lists on podchaser.com along with links to everywhere you can find the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Because that's all we got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Uh-huh.